What's going on, everyone? It's Friday, April 1st, and you're listening to The Hustle Daily Show. I'm Zachary Crockett. I'm here with Rob Litterst. What's going on, Zach? And Mark Dent is back with us. Yes, good to be back. How's it going, Zach? How's it going, Rob? So we have talked a lot about uh, the great resignation on this show. You know, the trend of mostly younger workers quitting their jobs or switching careers. Well, today we're going to be digging into a parallel trend that's happening in the labor market. Workers are coming out of retirement to rejoin the workforce. We're going to explain why, and we're also going to fill you in on a little controversy that's brewing over at Etsy. Sellers are going on a massive strike. We're going to tell you why. But first, let's take a quick look at what's going on today around the web. President Biden is tapping into the U.S. oil reserves in an attempt to alleviate gas prices. He's releasing a historic 180 million barrels of oil. That's about 30% of America's total reserves. And just for context, Americans consume 20 million barrels of oil every day. So that reserve amounts to around a nine-day supply of the good stuff. Apple is working on a multi-year strategy to bring more financial services in-house. That includes payment processing, risk assessment for lending, fraud analysis, and credit checks. A tighter control over every facet of the user experience means that Apple would be a little bit less affected by the whims of external partners. So brace yourself for another cook in the banking kitchen. Some good news, Washington state passed a law that prevents employers from imposing non-disclosure agreements that could keep employees from reporting harassment or discrimination. It's the second state to do so after California. And lastly, amid an ongoing accusation that his podcast is spreading misinformation, Joe Rogan said he will, quote, quit Spotify if he has to walk on eggshells. Earlier this year, 270 doctors signed a letter saying that the Joe Rogan experience was, quote, a menace to public health. And since then, Spotify has slapped the pod with an advisory label and taken down over 100 episodes. All right, let's get into the good stuff. It's been a bit jarring to see the federal quits data tick up over the past few years. That's the percentage of workers who are leaving their jobs month over month. But on the flip side, there's a great unretirement happening. Mark, set us up a bit here. What's the data telling us on this unretirement trend? The data is telling us that people do not want to just spend their whole day at the golf course. They don't want to garden, et cetera, et cetera, because like you're saying, they're coming back in March, roughly 3% of all retirees rejoined the workforce. Wow. Yeah, and that number is is quite a bit larger than what we've been used to, at least in the last two years. During like the kind of sort of initial phase of the pandemic, if you will, uh, that number was more around 2%. And during like good economic times, it, it isn't unusual to see it around 3%, but this has been a pretty steady rise back up. Mm-hmm. It fell in around April 2020 and kind of stayed that way. And then it just picked back up uh, about a year ago, year and a half ago, and it's just kind of consistently gone back up to this 3% level. And, you know, there's a lot of high profile people coming back too in March. Tom Brady, who was retired for about 40 days. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Howard Schultz coming back to Starbucks and Peloton's new CEO, Barry McCarthy had uh, retired as Spotify CEO in 2020. (laughs) Uh, So there's just a lot of people who have kind of taken part of the old great resignation, if you will, and then returned. So is a part of this that a lot of people just retired during the pandemic? Yeah, I I think that that's a lot of what we're seeing here. Let's put it this way. People retire usually for a a couple of reasons. Uh, They're, they're, you know, getting old, 65 plus or so. They have a lot of money 
and security. That's what makes people retire. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning of the pandemic, it kind of seemed like, well, there's not going to be a lot of security. Uh, when we had the Great Recession, 07 to 09, mm -hmm. retirement numbers were way down because people were losing out on all their investments. But obviously, we had just a very, very short bear market. And then we had a historic bull market. So that meant in 2020 and 21, roughly 2.4 million Americans retired early, uh, according to the St. Louis Federal Reserve. They, they got that number through basically excess retirements, the more retirements than they expected. Hmm. And then Pew has some really interesting data too. They found that in Q3 2019, just before the pandemic, about 48% of adults who are 55 and older were retired. That number uh, as of Q3 last year was 50.3%. So it raised significantly. And, and you saw that same raise for people in the 65 to 74 age group, as well as even older age groups. My first impulse when I saw these on retirement headlines was like, you know, this makes sense. Like there's inflation's really high right now. Everything's more expensive. The market's kind of uncertain. Right. A lot of these people who made the decision to retire maybe prematurely during the pandemic are now questioning their decision. Is that playing a role in this at all? Oh, totally. Like the fact that we had all these retirements kind of falls into a couple of different camps, I suppose. And, and and the first one of those is kind of what you were just suggesting there, where people had these new opportunities to kind of retire because they felt good about their mm -hmm. finances. They felt very good about them. And so people like that have kind of found out like, well, maybe this retirement isn't all that it's cracked up to be. And that's especially the case because the labor market is really in this odd situation, as, as we have discussed before, where since so many people have left, employers are kind of rolling out the red carpets to get people back. <laughs> yeah, I know they, right. they have the work from home, flexible work policies, and pretty good salary packages. So a lot of people who are particularly in the information industry and who retired and, you know, maybe feel like they have a couple of years left, they're kind of being wooed back in. And some of them are just working as like part-time consultants, hmm. maybe for companies that they had already worked for. Others are starting kind of like their own business or they're taking diminished roles where they can be like, I'm going to live in Omaha and not San Francisco because they want to be near maybe their own elderly parents or something like that. But then there's the other sort of part of this, which are people who are not as maybe traditionally wealthy as we would think of a retiree. You know, you think like you retire when you're kind of set for life and you have a lot of uh, savings and everything like that. Well, during the pandemic, as we all remember, everything shut down mm -hmm. for two or three months at least and longer in some states. So there were a lot of people who were forced out of their jobs. You're talking about like people who are maybe in like logistics, people right. who are in the service industry, things like that. That's a great point. And so people like that, they kind of had to stop working. And sure. now a year or two later, some of those jobs are finally coming back. And so they are coming back as well. Others learn new skills and are finally kind of reaping the benefits of those new skills now and taking mm. jobs. Those are people who just could not basically do retirement yet. They didn't have the finances yet. Right. Yeah, this reminds me of, we wrote a piece last year about bus drivers, how there's kind of a big bus driver shortage in America. And a lot of the drivers I spoke with were retiring early for, you know, health concerns about the pandemic and things like that. And now that cases are tapering off a little bit, I'm sure that many of them are maybe reconsidering re-entry to the workforce. Right. And that's a really interesting uh, occupation. I believe in, in a couple of stories I was reading, that was like one job that people who had, you know, some other skill or, or who had worked somewhere else 
want to be bus drivers now. Huh, interesting. In, in many ways, it's a part-time job for some people. And that's the way a lot of people are jumping back in. They'll work at like Home Depot or, or Target or something like that or as a bus driver. You know, uh, not to get too salacious here, but another element here is obviously there seem to be some major differences in work philosophy across age lines. I've seen a lot of people hounding each other on Twitter like, ah, oh, you know, millennials are quitting their jobs and now these boomers are stepping in and saving the workplace and taking these jobs back again. But it is interesting how the thinking around employment differs generationally. Yeah, I think boomers are figuring out how good it feels to have work from home, to have these sort <laughs> of flexible benefits and that's why they're jumping back in. These things that maybe they do like to grill, you know, millennials like the three of us for, they're finding are pretty great. And that's one reason why they're definitely going back into the workforce. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but my parents are so confused about what I do sitting at home all day. Like they're both public high school teachers, you know, they don't quite understand like what I'm doing sitting at home with a microphone. They almost feel like it's not work, you know? That's amazing. Yeah. So my dad worked remotely, I think like one or two days a week, his last couple of years working, he, he worked in finance. And so he definitely gets it. He faced a lot of pushback where he worked about wanting to do that, but it was kind of like this thing that he really requested and they eventually let him have it. And so he freaking loved it. He thought he was way more productive from home and he's been touting the work from home lifestyle to me for years. Mm. So he totally gets it. I did not envy teachers that had to teach their classes remotely. I don't know if right. your parents had to do that, Zach, but that seemed like one of the hardest jobs you would have to do during the pandemic is actually try to control a distributed classroom. Like, <laughs> I, I cannot even come close oh, to Oh, yeah. It. I've heard some horror stories. <laughs> I'm sure, man. I'm you, sure. You know, it's funny. My mom is actually retiring this year, so this is going nice. to be her last year. And Mark, your, your story is just making me wonder if she's going to be back in a couple of years. But. <laughs> My dad plans on retiring this year as yeah. well. Oh, wow. Here's the wow. other thing. Like, there is is kind of rolling through Congress right now, as much as anything can roll through Congress, by the way. This has had some huge bipartisan support. There is a, a new bill that was just passed in the House. And that bill called the SECURE Act 2.0 is going to boost employees' 401k plans and do a few other things that should hopefully make retirement a little bit easier and a little bit sweeter mm -hmm. of an option. So that might, I don't know, stem a little bit of this trend that we're seeing. My biggest confusion over this headline is like, I am somebody who is very good at figuring out what to do with my leisure time. And like, I could just never see myself jumping back into work. I have a lot of respect for people that just want to get back into the working world and just want to get back and, and start doing it again. Um, I don't see myself doing that. I know. I, I, I could go for the more leisure too. Like, even if I just like <laughs> cleaned my house and did like other random things, like I feel like that would like fill most of my day. So Right. Read some books. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. yeah. I, I wonder if the average number of years people work before they retire has gone up over time. This doesn't quite answer that, Zach, but in this Pew story that I, um, that I linked, or, or Pew Research, rather, it noted that since 2000, adults age 55 and older are the only working age population to increase their labor force participation. Wow. Okay. Damn. I mean, that right there would suggest that people are definitely working for longer, although mm -hmm. it doesn't really give a view of sort of what the average age has kind of become that you work for. Sure. That's really interesting. Let's move on here because I want to leave a little time to talk Etsy. Etsy, of course, is a popular platform where people sell artisanal handmade stuff, you know, organic soaps, crock charms, all that crunchy stuff. <laughs> but in recent months, the platform has really been pissing off its sellers. 
Rob, what's going on here? Yeah, so basically in February, Etsy reported that they had hit record level sales and revenue. So obviously a really good thing for investors. Their stock went crazy, but they also announced a 30% increase on transaction fees for sellers. So it went from a 5% fee to Mm -hmm. a 6.5% fee. Wow. Not to go too deep into the weeds here, but there are other fees that sellers have to pay Etsy. So a jump in the transaction fee is actually something that could really have a big impact on the seller's take rate overall. So obviously this change goes through and a lot of sellers were really upset. This one seller in particular, Christy Cassidy, who's been selling Victorian Gothic costumes on Etsy since 2007. (laughs) Right. There you go, Zach. You're your perfect (laughs) prototype. There's an Etsy seller subreddit where everybody was complaining about this. And she made a post on there that basically asked what would happen if on April 11th, so many Etsy sellers put their shop on vacation mode, which essentially turns it off, that Etsy would start bricks and that's her language not mine and now it turns out that's actually happening so there's a scheduled strike that's going to start on april 11th wow so tell us about the momentum that this strike has been gaining in recent weeks yeah so christy launched a campaign associated with the strike the campaign now has fifteen thousand signatures there are five thousand sellers that have joined the strike And the main goal for it is for people to put their shop on vacation mode for a week. And Christy understands that not everybody can afford to do this. So they're kind of accepting anybody who's willing to put their shop on vacation mode for as long as they can. But basically, a bunch of these sellers are agreeing, like, let's shut down our shop and also encourage buyers not to purchase anything from Etsy. And the crazy thing is this campaign that Christy launched for the strike has gotten a lot of signatures from buyers and a lot of comments from buyers. And a lot of the buyers are saying, you know, I go to Etsy because I want to support these individual creators and builders who are making these crafts. And if Etsy's not treating them right, I will totally buy something somewhere else. Mm. So that's kind of the general sentiment that they're trying to spread. The other piece of it is Christy really wants to strike to kind of be the first step towards more organization for these sellers, because I think they kind of fear that along with this jump in transaction fees, there have been some other decisions that Etsy's made over the last few years. Like if If you're big enough on Etsy, you have to do this mandatory marketing campaign, which is apparently really expensive and they don't even have a chance to opt out of it. And it's something that they just have to do and none of the merchants really like it. And then in 2013, Etsy basically allowed dropshippers to use the platform, Ah. which has kind of changed the complexion of the sellers that are on there in a way that a lot of the original sellers didn't like. So you get a lot more cheap, chintzy crap on there flooding the platform. Exactly. So Rob, has Etsy elaborated on its rationale here? Because obviously the company has had record level sales and revenue figures over the past year. Why do they find it necessary to bump up these transaction fees? So to answer your question, Etsy is basically arguing that the fee accounts for what they've done and what they've built in the product to help sellers sell more over time. And to their credit, they have actually reached a record level of sales per seller. Mm. So essentially what they're saying is we have built the infrastructure to help you get better at selling more. So we deserve to get a bigger cut. We've enabled you to sell more stuff. So we get a bigger cut. Right. And some of the things that they mentioned is better marketing tools, the ability to reach more customers, which obviously that definitely helps some of these sellers. It's also worth noting that while 5,000 sellers is definitely nothing to sneeze at, there are 5.3 million sellers on Etsy. So it's definitely a drop in the bucket compared to their overall selling pool. One thing that seems kind of consistent around the sellers that are striking as well is a lot of them have been on the platform for a really long time. So I think a lot of them are starting to get fed up with a lot of these changes that are happening. They 
I think are kind of looking at Etsy more as kind of this utopian place where it can kind of enable this seamless market and seamless transactions between craftspeople and their customers. Hmm. And in reality, it's just not the case anymore. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Etsy used to have B Corp certification, which is designated hmm. for companies that meet high social and environmental standards but they lost it when they went public in 2015. So I think some of these sellers are probably looking back to those days and thinking like, I miss the old Etsy. I want the old Etsy back. What they're doing now is just not fair and it's not the Etsy that I want to be a part of. Sure. And I think it's worth noting too that you know a 1.5% hike in these transaction fees, what does that mean? If you buy something for 500 bucks you know, before these sellers may have paid a $25 transaction fee on that $500 sale, now they're going to pay about $32. You know, it'd be a $7 increase on a $500 sale. And that sounds pretty small, but I just looked up the average income for Etsy sellers and it's about $44,000 a year. So a lot of these craft sellers, you know, don't make a tremendous amount of money. So that, that adds up. Totally. Every dollar counts for sure. Yeah. Mark, do you use Etsy? Do you buy stuff on there? Absolutely, I do. I, I, I won't on April 11th, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I buy a lot of retro uh, clothing off of there. No way, man. Yeah, retro college sweatshirts, windbreakers, uh, things what? like that. Yeah, you can find some good deals. I've gotten like a an old University of Texas uh, windbreaker, Rob. <laughs> I've also gotten um, like an old Adidas, like from the 80s windbreaker. And and I'll tell you, the, the interesting thing is, and, and I know there's been some journalism done on this, is that a lot of the sellers who have like the retro college sweatshirts are based in Malaysia. Mm. Somehow like that is where the market is for a, a lot of our sort of retro sporting gear. Wow. Kind of reminds me of the story that you talked about in the past about like donated clothing ending up in Ghana or abroad, right, Rob? Like, That's exactly what I was yeah. thinking about, except it's probably like one of the coolest niches of old clothing that could possibly come out. That, that's awesome. I need to go to Malaysia. Yeah. I have this old North Carolina starter jacket that I had when I was in like fourth grade. I should probably go try to find that so that I can have my son wear it. Yeah. What's your best Etsy purchase, Rob? It's actually a great place for wedding presents. If you're like mm -hmm. looking for something that's like customized for the bride and groom, like a cutting board or a charcuterie board or a decanter for wine or something like that. Like they've got yeah. all that crazy stuff. I'm trying to think of like what my actual favorite is that we have. We ordered a lot of stuff for our own wedding through Etsy, like some of the cards that we put at the tables and stuff like that. So definitely a big fan of Etsy. I hope they figure this stuff out because yeah. the sellers are kind of what's most important there. You got to treat them right. Yeah, for sure. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks for tuning in to the Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editor is Robert Hartwig, and our executive producer is Darren Clark. If you liked what you heard today, we've got a lot more tech and business coverage over at thehustle.co. Go check it out. We'll catch you all next week.